talk about another one that people want to talk about was the Kwaku thing, and um, and a lot of my listeners won't even know who he is. I didn't know who he was until somebody sent me. Uh, um, did I know? I knew that there was this this three Mormons thing, right? Uh, it's YouTube called, channel. It's yeah. called the Three Mormons. Yeah. And I didn't really listen to them, uh, but I was sort of aware that they were out there. And uh, Steve Smoot was one of them. And then there's this black kid, and that's Kwaku. Okay. And then there was some, they might have a girl on there or something like that. Anyway, it's an apologetic type thing, and they talk about apologetics. So, um, but Bill Reel and I had done, was it two, was it three? I think it was three episodes. It might have been two on the book of Abraham. And those have been released, I think, about a year ago. People love those, <clears throat> by the way. Oh, gosh. I just thought we did some great work on that, Bill Reel and I, and, and me getting into the, um, what was it, the John Gee and the Carrie Mulestein. Oh, those guys, well, they're deceptive in what they do, and they're intentionally deceptive. But it's all for a good cause, you know? Like John Gee said, look, it's like uh, juggling hand grenades. This is for professionals only. Don't try this at home. Only us real Egyptologists can do this because they might go flying off and explode in the audience. <laughs> that's, that's actually what he said. So we did a lot of great work on that. <clears throat> but as part of it, we talked about how it is that one of the common apologetic tactics for supporting the book of Abraham is to take ancient texts that mention something that's in the book of Abraham. And what's one of the obvious things? Oh, astronomy. Abraham taught astronomy in Egypt, okay? That's one thing. Another thing is that Abraham was attempted to be sacrificed when he was young, okay? So these are two stories that are in the book of Abraham, which are not mentioned in the Bible, but do appear in texts outside the Bible. Ancient texts, texts that Joseph Smith had no access to. So the common apologetic tactic is to take those texts to which Joseph Smith did not have access and say, this story shows up in this ancient text and it shows up in the book of Abraham, but it doesn't show up in the Bible. So how could Joseph Smith have known? The one thing the apologist does not tell the audience, this is where you hide things back, right, John? Remember I told you about that? Yeah. Is that there are other texts that do mention the same story that were available to Joseph Smith and that actually we know he had in his possession. That's the missing link. That's what you don't tell your audience. Okay, that's the gimmick. If I'm doing a magic trick, that's the thing I don't want the audience to know. So it's, it's got a huge effect. So I talk about that a little bit with those two things. And actually, the very last, you know, the book of Abraham essay that the church has up on its website, the very last paragraph, the last footnote at the bottom of this long essay, I think it was footnote 36 or something. If you actually look at the footnote, it admits it. It said that, that Joseph Smith actually did have a copy of the book of Josephus and also of Jasher, the book of Jasher, in his possession. Those are the, the, the texts that mention these two stories, right, that Joseph Smith had. Okay, so anyway, we talk about that. We talk about a lot of other fun stuff. So that's gone. I've gone on to other podcasts. Now a friend sends me this, um, this podcast by Kwaku, who I thought it was Kwaku at the time. K-W-A-K-U. And he is doing a podcast about the book of Abraham, in which he does exactly what it was I had described on Radio Free Mormon some months before. He's doing exactly what I described. It's textbook, right? And so I can't resist. I mean, how crazy is this? Here I've revealed the secret, and now he's still trying to pull it over. Of course, he doesn't know about me. 
And I only know about him because somebody sent it to me because they thought it was interesting. So I do a podcast on that. I call it Quaku the Deceiver, but I call him Quaku the Deceiver throughout. Okay. And that was not an intentional ribbing or snub. No, it wasn't. Okay. It wasn't. Um, So I call him that throughout, Quaku the Deceiver. And by the way, I do call him that throughout, which kind of indicates to me that that's how I thought it was pronounced, if you know what I mean. So I call him that throughout and I expose what he's done. Okay. And, uh, about, and I send out like copies of it before it publishes. Okay. To some friends and Alan Mount was one of them. And, uh, he listens to it. He says, uh, Hey, radio free Mormon. You know, I think he pronounces it Quaku. And I said, Oh my gosh, this is going to go out an hour. I'm not going to go back there and redo this entire thing. Uh, so it goes up and, um, some people mentioned that, Hey, it's Quaku. And I go, okay, Quaku. it's Quaku. Great. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Quaku. It's <laughs> honestly, uh, that it's Quaku. It's not Quaku. So I do a very quick, uh, because other things are going on behind the scene, but I do a very quick three days later, I release another podcast and I said, you know, I sort of kicked a hornet's nest with this and there's a number of issues that have come up and this is called going down to Quaku town. The very first thing I do in that, John, is I say, one of the first comments is that people have said that I've mispronounced his name, that it's, it's Quaku, not Quaku. And I said, look, I didn't do it until, uh, Intentionally. Yeah, or intelligently, apparently. <laughs> yeah, I didn't do it intentionally or intelligently. And I said, but, you know, I want to give a public apology. And I did. And I said, you know, no harm was intended, but still I think an apology is in order. And I went on from there. In order, and I went on from there. And then I, I knew he was producing his response video, but he didn't have it up yet. Okay. That's why I did this huge rush to get my video, my podcast up within three days of the first one. And he's working on it. He's talking about, oh, my response is coming out. (laughs) Believe me. So I got mine out really quick. This is right before Sunstone, right before I fly down to Utah for Sunstone. So this is early August, late July. All this is happening. And because I want to get mine out before him, because I know some of the things he's going to be saying about the substance. And I want to actually undercut what he's going to say before he says it. So I thought that was fun. So I get that out and then he comes out and then uh, he does a very, very funny thing, which is because I had mispronounced his name, he, well, first off, he outs me publicly, right? With my real name and my real picture. I thought that was too far, but what I think he did. That's doxing, right? Yeah, that was, I thought that was too much. But but what he did was then, then with my name, he just made merciless fun of my name. In just such creative and funny ways. I watch this video. This is after I'm down in Utah that I'm watching this video. The night I get there and the night before I present at Sunstone, I'm laughing my guts out because he is so funny. Um, and he did the exact right thing, I think. And by that, I mean, if I mispronounce his name, whether I do it intentionally or not, and he wants to get back at me, you know, don't sit there and cry about, you know, oh, I'm oppressive or I'm making fun of him and I'm racist or whatever crazy thing. Make fun of my name better then I mispronounced his name, right? So he does that. Everything's fine. Um, and then, yeah, that's about it because that was really all, that was the huge Quaku thing. There were a lot of comments that got made on Facebook. Uh, he created a fake account, pretended to be somebody else who was a huge Quaku supporter. Um, and that was funny too. But um, yeah, I, I think that's blown over since then. Yeah, yeah. Switching gears a tiny bit, um, is there anything that's been hard about being a podcaster? Um, 
I can make a big old, you know, there's, so, it's, it's overwhelmingly such an amazing opportunity and blessing to be in this space. So mm -hmm. I love it in spite of all the harm and difficulty. But there, for me, it's been excruciating at times. How so? Uh, I've talked about this before, but just um, people that want to destroy you, not just disagree oh. with you or criticize you, people yeah. who want to literally destroy you. Mm -hmm. um, former friends or supporters that turn on you and try and destroy you, people that you invested in, people that you supported, people that you believed in, people that you brought in your podcast, then they turn around and whether it's for envy or jealousy or you know, personality differences or whatever it is, they want to just destroy you. That, that's been the hardest part for me. Um, but, but you know, I'm just wondering if it's been hard for you or if it's just been all fun and, and interesting, <laughs> if there have been any hard parts. It has been uh, very, very uh, time-consuming. And here I've got a full-time law practice, right? It's just me. I'm a one-man show, my law practice, right? I don't even have a secretary, okay? So it's me. I do everything. And it's not a huge law practice, but believe me, it keeps me plenty of business. And now in and around early before that and after that and on weekends, by that it means evenings, all through, here I am. I'm, I'm podcasting. I'm recording. I have to get up the strength to podcast. I've got tons of things still to podcast about. I mean, right now. It's like I've got a whole list of books I got. I got a whole list of podcasts I have to do, but it takes oh eight, ten, maybe more hours for every podcast when you take into the the recording and then the editing. And there are so many times. Well, let me let me finish the part about the editing. Hours and hours of editing because unfortunately I'm kind of a perfectionist, and I want it to be polished. I want it to be the best possible thing it can be, which is why I'm a little bit put off about the fact that I, I got his name wrong and people, you know, focused on that because I should have had his name right, but I didn't know. Uh, frankly, we were doing uh, Tad um, Elder Tad Callister and his uh, case for the Book of Mormon. You probably didn't get a chance to listen to that, but me and Bill Real. And I know that's incorrect grammar, by the way, mom, in case you're listening, me and Bill Real are doing a, um, uh, an analysis of that. His case for the Book of Mormon is five minute video it's called five minute fireside. Right. And we're talking about Elder Callister and Elder Callister this. And then we get to the first clip that we're playing from him. And you know how he introduces himself? Hello, I'm Elder Tad Callister. I, we'd been mispronouncing his name. And so I, I corrected that and I made a little joke, you know, uh, about something. Oh, I hear I've been mispronouncing his name. Uh oh, I better correctly pronounce it. Otherwise, he's going to get crazy and make a video making fun of my name. So it's possible, actually, to mispronounce people's names with no ill intent. I just want to assure you. And you, Kwaku, and you, Elder Collister, in case you're watching. Um, another problem I have is Elder Holland and Elder Oaks. These guys are totally different. But I have this thing, there's a glitch, that I will say Holland when I'm talking about Oaks, or I'll say Oaks when I'm talking about Holland. And, you know, Bill will listen to it. He'll have to correct me, hey, you did that. And I have to go back through. And some have actually slipped through. I think there are some that are still in the record where I'm talking all about Elder Holland and Oaks comes through, or vice versa. But there's all this editing, um, massive amounts of editing. It's very, very time-consuming. And then there's the little production stuff I have to do, which Bill taught me how to do. So, and, th and then it goes up. And then I got to start working on another one.
So yeah, there's a great deal of, um, it's a labor of love. It's a labor of passion. It's something I'm passionate about. I really, really enjoy it. I enjoy hearing what people think. I'm excited that people, a lot of people seem to like it. Um, and I just want to keep going with this and try and be, I don't know, like the Tanners have the, the Utah Lighthouse Ministry with a little lighthouse up there and the light going around. That's kind of how I envision Radio Free Mormon. It's just sort of being a lighthouse up here and hopefully it's something that can shine some light your way and maybe bring some happiness into your life. I think there's power in laughing at the fact that I have been totally duped by a church that presented itself as being something that it's not, and my slow realization to the fact that that's not the case. Yeah. Is that funny? That's not funny at all, is it? <laughs> that's actually sad. It depends. But on what are we going to do? Yeah, yeah. Are we going to go crazy and start shooting up places? Don't do that. Are, are we going to cry forever? Or are we just going to like laugh at it and say, well, I guess uh, I flushed 40 years of my life down, <laughs> down the toilet. But really, I mean, who knows where I'd be? Would I be someplace better? I don't know, maybe. Would I be someplace worse? Possibly. Would I be dead? Maybe. I have no idea. Yeah. So my life is what it is. I can't go back. I can't change it. Though, unfortunately, and I've got to be honest with you, that doesn't mean I don't spend time sometimes regretting it. That I can't go back and change it because there are things that I would have done differently and I can identify them. One of which is dancing right? No mission, dance. Just continue with that. Um, and then there are other things and you go back and say, what if, and uh, how could that have been? And I can get myself as wrapped up around that and as down in the dumps about that as pretty much anybody. But then I have to try and realize, and this is where Bill Real comes in with his uh, Almost Awake podcast, because he's tired of Mormonism. He's going on into development and emotional development. His Almost Awake podcast that he does with his co-host, whose name I'm forgetting, I'm sorry, uh, but it's on the Mormon Discussions podcast. Um, these are stories that we tell ourselves. It's, it's not reality. The only time that we have is right here, you and me right now. The past doesn't really exist. It's just a bunch of memories. The future doesn't exist, which means it doesn't mean we shouldn't plan for it, but still. I mean, Jesus had a lot of wisdom, right? Don't take any thought for tomorrow. Just for the day. You can't do anything about tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. Sufficient is the day unto the evil thereof. Um, yeah, so, but I was listening to one of those when I was kind of down in the dumps, and they're talking about the stories that we tell, and we've got this voice in our head that's always yakking, and it's always talking, and it's always telling us stories, and it's always telling us stories about ourselves. And if you're like me, which I think a lot of people are, not everybody. I don't know if our president is this way. Uh, I think his, his voice tells some great things about himself, you know. Sometimes I wish I had a voice like that. My voice is not so nice to me. <laughs> My voice is the most critical voice of me. Uh, and, and like they said on their podcast, uh, we tell ourselves things that we would never tell another human being, even if we hated their guts, we tell ourselves things that we just, that you're just worthless and you're no good and nobody cares about you and nobody loves you and, and you're never good enough. That's what my voice is always telling me. I'm just never good enough, never good enough, never good enough. And finally, you know, I have to sometimes listen to Bill Real and say, shut up and realize that's not me. That's a voice that's back here that's been trained like back here with this tiny little Tyrannosaurus Rex over my right shoulder. 
It's always trying to attack. <laughs> and as long as I can try and refocus and get in the moment and really appreciate what I have. And if I can say it, count my many blessings, name them one by one. See, there are things that are good that you can learn in Mormonism. Uh, I can get centered and I'm just, I'm just thrilled with life. I love it. That's Boy, that stuff. was a long trip around the galaxy. That's good stuff. Um, and Alan Mount. Are you still watching Alan Mount? Because I have to give you a big shout out. Because he is, uh, you know him, Alan Mount and Katie. Katie with two T's. Who I think has not listened to Radio Free Mormon yet. I think Katie is still, you know, a little bit hesitant about pulling the trigger on me. So uh, she can get to that when she wants to. You see, I'm not into coercion. She can get to that when it wants to. I just want to give a shout out to Alan because he's great. He's a great friend. What a great guy Alan is. I know Katie must be too. I just don't know her as well. Mm -hmm. But yeah, Alan, he's got a great podcast, the Marriage on a Tightrope podcast. He's got like a thousand people in this group of his, and they're always going out to try and help people. And if he were still a Mormon, he'd probably call it ministering now. Uh, he's, he's ministering to people right and left who are having these issues that Mormonism brings up because of the severe commitment. You get married, there's a man, there's a woman, but over it all is the church. And this, the, this is where the commitment runs, okay? This is where the commitment runs is up to the church. Obviously, there's a commitment here, but this is the main commitment. And if there's any problem with this line and this line, this is the line that's supposed to give, and this is the line that's supposed to be maintained, which can lead to all sorts of problems. Yeah. And one of the best things about Alan, aside from Marriage on a Tightrope, is his karaoke skills. His karaoke skills are phenomenal. Are they really? And Oh, they're outstanding. He did, he did a, a Queen song at the first Thrive, um... Don't want to stop us now. Like, oh, yeah, absolutely. What's that song? Don't stop me now. Don't stop me now. Like, who does Who does Freddie Mercury? There are certain rules in karaoke. You don't do Steve Perry of Journey. You don't do Sticks. You don't do Elton John. And you don't do Freddie Mercury of Queen because no human male besides them can sing at that registry. But Alan pulls it off. So I'm having Alan be the master of karaoke ceremonies at Thrive in on November 7th. Oh, that's fantastic. Way to go out. But he's also a very good-looking man. Uh, yes. He he's is. kind of rugged. He's kind of got that John Wayne look. <laughs> he's hot. Um, yeah, and audience, Amy says, love Freddie Mercury, and, and Janet's telling us it's Don't Stop Me Now. Um, tell us really quickly, are you... Um, <clears throat> So are you interested or able to talk anything about um, just how finances work with the podcast and money? Every podcast is different in terms of like, mm -hmm. but, but I think Bill Real runs a nonprofit. Yeah, Bill Real is being super. I think he takes donations. And yes. how does that work with you? And do you get any of that or not? Or do you want it? Or Yeah, I do. I do want it. So please send it in. I do get a part of that. But that's sort of been after a couple of years. And... Um, you know, a lot of people who start podcasting or anything else, paper routes or podcasting, uh, they'll drop off after a little bit because it's just not something they want to continue. Well, I've continued it for a couple, uh, three years now. I don't intend on stopping anytime soon. And so what Bill Real did, he's been very, very considerate to me uh, and I think very considerate to everybody involved, including Marriage on a Tightrope, though I'll let Alan speak for himself and Katie. She can speak for herself too, although he is the patriarch. I won't go there. 
Anyway, oh, are kids home from school? Keep going. Okay. So, uh, yeah. So there are certain expenses that have to do with the podcast. Okay. And what Bill Real did was he set things up so each of us had our own page. There wasn't just the Mormon Discussions page. There is the Mormon Discussions podcast page, which has all the different podcasts on it, but RadioFreeMormon.org has its own page. So if you go to RadioFreeMormon.org, there's a donate button there. If you donate there, then it goes to Radio Free Mormon. Please go to RadioFreeMormon.org and donate there, not the Mormon Discussions podcast page, (laughs) and certainly not the Marriage on a (laughs) Tightrope. Al and I, we have this kind of competition going on. Um, But uh, So in other words, he can keep it separate. So then there's a, a division of, uh, there's a certain amount that's kept for uh, podcasting expenses. And then Bill will, on a uh, uh, regular basis, periodically send us the difference. Although, Bill, I think 95% is a little bit too high for you. I'm thinking <laughs> maybe I deserve at least 10. No, I'm kidding. It's totally reasonable. He's totally open with us about it. And he invites us from time to time to talk with him about it, see if there's some other way that we want it. And I say, hey, it's fine. It's fine. You know, send it when you want. I don't care. It's fine. But it's so nice, you know, I will tell you, it's so nice to have that expression of appreciation from people. And it does pay for some bills, too. But it, it, it's very meaningful to have people not only write, uh, writing is great. And I've got a lot of people out there who are very smart, who have a lot of great insights and a lot of great stories and sharing the podcast with other people. Uh, but, you know, also those donations, they really mean a lot. Because I see it as a concrete expression of appreciation. Are you guys, do you feel like it's important to be transparent with those finances or or not? And are you, and I'm just curious because I get a lot of scrutiny around that kind of stuff. And I'm just wondering how you guys think about it. Um, well, you know, it's not something we talk about very much. It's just really not something that's really front and center. But uh all I can say is that Bill has been very, you know, open with us about things. I, 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 I've never gone online or looked at his books or anything. I mean publicly. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a nonprofit. So I'm sure there's, there's, it's published somewhere. I just haven't gone and seen it. Um, but yeah, he's been very, very open with us and I don't know about publicly. Um, I'm not sure. Has he done a podcast about that? I I don't know. It doesn't matter. I I'm, I'm happy. I, my philosophy is, is that podcasters add value yeah. and materially Im- improve people's lives. And so I want people to give to Bill Real and I want people to give to you and Alan and Katie. And yeah. and I think uh, maybe it hasn't been as heavy for you, but it sounds like it's been a, a tremendous investment of your time and energy and focus. And I know it has been for me and yeah. I know it's had a really significant ripple effects on my family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, and I know it has been for Bill and, and, and now and Katie and others. And so I just think if, if doctors can make money, if mental health professionals can make money, if, if, if CEOs, corporate CEOs, engineers, whatever lawyers, if they can all make money, why shouldn't podcasters, you know what I mean? And, yes. And why shouldn't they make a lot of money? That's what I want to know. <laughs> Especially Radio Free Mormon podcasters. Um, yeah. No job is too big. No fee is too big. <laughs> Ghostbusters. Mm-hmm. So, and actually, if I'm to be totally honest with you, um, I would say that uh, the discussion that Bill has had with us podcasters and about just wanting to be very open with us, a lot of that is in response to the crap that you have gotten, you know, 
just these allegations that are coming out, even though you're a nonprofit, you know, you're transparent. Uh, as far as I know, I haven't done, done your books or gone looking, but it's just like, you know, you're out there and you are just like a magnet for a lot of positive energy, but there's negative energy coming your way and allegations being made against you. Uh, from, you know, some people who just want to be out there and, and stirring the pot. And so it's just like, you know, Bill's going, man, I don't want to go down that road and have people <laughs> saying those kind of things about me. So let's just talk about it. you know, yeah. uh, so I'm completely satisfied, very happy, you know, with my home with Bill real, he's an excellent guy and super, super smart. I talk about how smart he is. And the only reason I keep talking about that is because, um, and he's told this to me, right? He grad, he's never been to college. He, he graduated high school. He sold drugs in high school, for crying out loud, before he converted to Mormonism. Not that that doesn't take some degree of intelligence. And he goes into a carpet. He sells carpet in a carpet warehouse store in Ohio. And now he's come over to Utah where he works managing a pawn store. So these are his, these are his credentials. And yet he has this innate intelligence and ability as a lawyer, he'd be a great lawyer at cross-examination of people that he will lead them exactly where their weak point is, where they don't want to go. He'll put them right in the corner. And his boss has told him before, Bill, here's what I don't get. How is somebody like you with no education, except for high school, who's never done anything, you know, except what you're doing. How is a person like you, how, cause I know that if you got in the same room, with Elder Oaks that you would wipe an actual open conversation where he's got to answer the questions that you ask. You would wipe up the floor with him. And I know that Bill would. This is why apologists refuse to go on the show, okay? Uh, they refuse to go on most people's show. There was that Jim Bennett thing, that seven, mm -hmm. that seven I won't go into that, but Jim Bennett showed a lot of um, uh, guts in going on, that, on, on Bill Real's show. And they had an incredible conversation, I think for you know, set like seven, what, 10, 14 hours worth? Yeah. My gosh, it went on and on and on, but they covered pretty much everything. Uh, so uh, kudos to him. But I don't see Jim Bennett as a real apologist. You know what I mean? Maybe yes to a certain extent, but definitely much more nuanced than a hardline apologist like uh, Daniel C. Peterson or Stephen Smoot, right? Or Hales. Right, right. and I've got to use his nickname, which I've created, Stephen Bukake Smoot. <laughs> and you know why you have that nickname, Stephen. You know why. I've talked about it on the podcast. Um, so I was talking about Bill Real. Yeah. Why is it that you should be able to wipe up the floor with a guy who's been to law school and was on the Utah Supreme Court? Why could you wipe him, wipe the floor with him in any discussion about Mormonism? And Bill just, you know, there's something to be said for the fact that you're arguing the side that has the truth on it. It's not that hard. Now it's harder than he thinks, than Bill thinks, okay? Because he's got a lot of native ability. And uh, it's taken me a long time to learn half of what he knows innately. And I'm talking about Bill Real now. But, you know, when you're on one side, it doesn't make any difference if you're a Utah Supreme Court justice, if you are trying to defend something that is demonstrably not correct. And you're over here without the education and the law school experience and being on the U uh, Utah Supreme Court, but you are, you've got the, the, right, the right side of the argument. Yeah. Yeah, that helps. I think I think Bill and you, part of your trademarks and Alan and others is your allegiance really is to the truth. And that 
that's highfalutin words and that sounds you know it's very anti it's sort of like pre-postmodern to even say that there is truth you know what i mean yeah but uh i think there is truth and there there are lies and and i really do respect you and bill and alan and others who are who are willing to stand up for truth because i think truth does matter and i think that's probably the most powerful thing that you guys do is stand up for truth well, thank you. I mean, there's a reason that in the hymn book, the hymn, Oh, Say What is Truth, has a question mark at the end, because it's a question in Mormonism, right? <laughs> oh, say, what is truth? More, at some point, I think if anybody's going to live uh, what I would consider a fulfilling life, no matter what religion you're in, if it's in Mormonism or any other, there has to come a point where you decide that the truth is more important to you than simply reconfirming the beliefs that you already have, that you're willing to step outside that box and do a little exploring and maybe seeing if things outside are different than what you're told they're supposed to be. Mormonism just builds this box. And the more you grow, the more confining it becomes because you're becoming bigger and bigger within this, this little box. The box doesn't change. You're not supposed to go outside this box. You're not supposed to look outside the box. The church has now become pleased to call it a boat, okay? If it's a boat, you're below decks, right? In steerage. And it's the Titanic, right? But it's boxed in. You're boxed in completely. And you're not supposed to go outside the box. You're not supposed to look outside the box. But eventually, living in a box can become kind of tiresome. And it be can become confining. And it can become oppressive. And maybe that's the connection I'm drawing between the oppressiveness I felt going to church. It's a box that I'm stuffed into. And as you grow, you start outgrowing the box. There was one time I had this whole, I have this whole book in which I put pieces of poetry or things that I've read in literature that strike me. I haven't kept it up as much as I ought to. It's kind of like a journal. You start it and then you stop. But I would also fill it with little comments that I made, little ideas that would come to me, whether I was at church or not. And I remember writing on there once that um, the church is a suit of boys' clothes that I am rapidly outgrowing. It's good. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> but it, it captured what it was I was feeling, you know. You try and get in these clothes, you know, that you wear when you're a kid, but you keep growing, and it's just confined. You can't do it. And finally, you burst out of them. It's a good thing. It's a good thing to grow. It's a good thing to graduate. It's a good thing to be able to snatch the pebble from Master Poe's hand and leave the Shaolin temple, even though you're going out into the blizzard, right? That's a good thing. What was that metaphor? That was Kung Fu. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it sounded a lot like uh, the first dark night when, you know, when uh, yes. Batman... Batman is hopelessly derivative. <laughs> <laughs> Did it really? Because he's over there in China studying Kung Fu or something. Yeah, yeah. No, this is the early 1970. This is David Carradine, and this is him in the Shaolin Temple, and it's the opening scenes of every, every single Kung Fu episode. Snatch the pebble from my hand. That's Master Poe. He's the guru guy. Snatch the pebble from my hand, then it will be time for you to leave. And there's these several times where he goes for it, can't ever get it. Can't ever get it because Master Poe, he's the master. He can close his hand before uh, Kwai Chang Kane can get it. Finally, at the end, he gets it, which is the symbol for he has learned everything that Master Poe and the Shaolin Temple have to teach him. So he doesn't stay there forever. 
that wouldn't be good. That's why it's snatched the pebble from my hand. Then it will be time for you to go. It's time for you to go on and learn more. Did I mention you were a nerd? Did I mention that? Is that nerdy? <laughs> Quoting David Carradine in Kung Fu from the 70s, maybe a little, maybe a little bit nerdy. But I love nerds. I'm a product of my culture. But yeah, the, the Mormon church You're needs to have, I and mean, we have a white stone for crying out loud. We're supposed to get one when we get to the celestial kingdom, right? With a new name written on it. <laughs> You're a nerd. <laughs> we should have snatched the white stone from my hand. Then it will be time for you to go. To be clear, I love nerds. I respect nerds. Anyone who's smart, and uh, especially anyone who likes Marvel movies. Because as much as I love DC movies, I think the Marvel series is historic and good. Isn't it incredible? I think it is. I am so delighted to have lived to see this. Yeah. And actually, I'm also very happy that Stan Lee was able to live to see this. You saw most of it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I have a bunch of questions that were submitted to me by listeners. We've answered a lot of them, probably. I hope they're yes/no questions at this point. Okay. <laughs> uh, one of the one of the most common questions I'm asked is, do the Quorum of the Twelve and the First Presidency believe the Church is true, or are they perpetuating an intentional fraud on us, knowing that it's not true, but either being selfish, greedy people that just want money and power, or a more charitable interpretation? They just uh, believe that the church is good, even if it's not true, and so they want to perpetuate it for the good of mankind. Right. Do you have an opinion on that? Yes, I do. And my opinion is, how would I know? Yeah. I am very fact and evidence-driven by training and profession. And as a lawyer, I hear that question, and my initial response is, how would I know? I don't pretend to be able to read other people's minds or see what's in their hearts. Sometimes there's evidence or things that they do that might give an indication of it. And of course, there are mental intents in the law that we have to look at and have to be proven in a criminal case beyond a reasonable doubt, depending upon what the charge is. But here's what I think. I think that... Um, they're probably different, just like all of us are. The one thing that unites them is not their belief in the truth of the church, but their willingness to do whatever it is they are told by a higher authority. That's what unites them. That's what makes them general authority material, in my opinion. And once again, that's the most important thing in the church, your obeisance and allegiance to your priesthood leader. Not really what you think about Jesus. Come on. I mean, that's not important. It, it really isn't in the church of Jesus Christ. Nobody gets excommunicated for what they believe about Jesus. Right? Yeah. Okay. So it's what you believe about them. And as long as you are competent and connected and faithful in doing what you're told to do, then you're going to rise up that chain. And I did have to say connected because of the, you know, there are family dynasties in the leadership of the church. Not all of them, but a lot of them. So having said that, here's what I think happens. And I think there's evidence of this, at least with President Eyring. Okay. I will speak to President Eyring. Uh, oh, first, Boyd K. Packer. Okay. He gave a talk about how, you know, I've... I'm not saying I've seen Jesus, and in fact, it would be imprudent or impudent for somebody to even ask me if I've seen Jesus. But I've kind of really seen Jesus, but I'm just not going to say it, okay? That's what his whole talk is. That is deceptive. That I'm not okay with. And other authorities do it to a certain extent or other. It doesn't seem like they do it quite as much as they used to. 
excuse me, I mean, my gosh. And now you got President Nelson up there who's like God's super prophet. I mean, he's got the P on his chest and the cape. He is super prophet. He's better than all prophets before, which is why they can be thrown under the bus so easily by him, whether it's the church and being called Mormon or whatever. Um, but he is the super prophet. And Wendy promotes him as having, you know, uh, brunch with Jesus on the fourth floor of the Salt Lake Temple every Thursday. And they are meeting person to person. And these are the real last days. These aren't just the last days. These are the real last days. <laughs> this is one of his big themes. The you last, know. last days. It, he is right around <laughs> the corner. If you look over there, you can see a sandal coming around the corner. That's how close Jesus is to showing up here. So he's very full of himself. But that's what happens when you get a surgeon who becomes the prophet of God, Right. <laughs> You've got a person with a God complex becoming a person who speaks for God, and that can't be good. <laughs> Not good. No. And I think we're seeing that here. Um, but once again, getting back to President Iron, what happens is this. What happens is this. It's like Tom Phillips, okay? He gets the second anointing. He doesn't see Jesus. Where's Jesus going to show up? When's Jesus going to get here? <laughs> oh, well, basically... Um, He's not going to show up. But if you're asked about it, you need to give this response, which will make people think that you've seen Jesus, even though you and I both know you haven't seen Jesus. What kind of crap is that? But that's what it is. So as you progress in the church and as you get closer and closer to the hubs of power, when you're out here, when you're out here where I joined the church, these guys walk and talk with God. It is a direct pipeline. I mean, we're talking about face-to-face -face meetings in the Holy of Holy Rooms, in the temple, and there's all sorts of urban myths that circulate about that. At least they did when I was a kid. About like, you know, President Kimball walking out of the Holy of Holies one night and the janitor's out there with the mop because who else is going to be in the temple in the middle of the night? But he's there and there's this like light coming out from under the door. <laughs> and this is not incandescent. No, this is something much better than that. And then he comes walking out, you know, and, and he's by himself and he's like, he's laughing and chuckling to himself and saying about, something about how God can really tell a good joke. Have you ever heard that story? Yes. Have you really? Of course. Oh, okay. Because a lot of people hadn't. And so I'm just going, yeah, we have all these, these, these stories to support what it is that Mormonism is supposed to be like, what we believe it is when we are on the bottom rungs. As you get up closer and closer and closer to the top, now you start realizing more and more that that's not true. And that doesn't happen. And so I think that what happens, and I know happened with President Eyring, is you just start changing all of your expectations and you dumb down your definitions, okay? And revelation is not something that God appears to the president of the church on and tells him face to face. Instead, it becomes a unanimous vote of the quorum of the 12. God doesn't show up. You don't feel the spirit. You, you know, nothing happens except you all finally agree on one course of action. And that, by definition, becomes a revelation. And President Eyring, I'm not making this up, and I've talked about it on the podcast. He came out a number of years ago. I think it was about 10 years ago. It was a press conference when Thomas B. Monson was made president of the church. So that's why it's about 10 years ago. President Eyring is going to be one of his counselors. Everybody gets a chance to say something, and President Eyring ends up saying too much. And he talks about a number of years ago, uh, before he was an apostle, and going to, he's in some leadership position in the church anyway. And he goes to a meeting of the apostles and he talks about, he actually says the words, this is on the church website. You can actually watch and listen to him say this, or you can hear it on my podcast. But he says, I expected to see what? Revelation 
occurring among these people, God appearing, some kind of incredible divine manifestation, you know, like everybody expects in the church and like he's admitting he expected to see in the church. But he says when he got there, it wasn't like that at all. And instead, everybody is talking about this particular issue. He doesn't say what it is. And they have different opinions about it. And they talk around about it around the table. And as they continue to talk around the table about it, I saw this incredible miracle. And of course, here he gives the, the trademark President Cryring emotional output there. I saw this miracle and their, their opinions all started lining up. And, and after a while, then they were, they were all united. And he defines that as a miracle. That's what revelation is, is a unanimous vote. That's all it is anymore. So all I'm saying is the church is led by revelation. When we're down at the bottom, we're, we believe what the church teaches. It's mano a mano between the prophet and God. And then as you go up and you say, it's not mano a mano. Now revelation is something different. Revelation is not God appearing. It's just unanimous vote. And by the way, we also know, thanks to Hubie Brown, that this unanimous vote stuff is a facade too. And that frankly, part of the apostolic charge that every apostle gets when he joins up is that you have got to commit to this. Anytime there's a vote and you're in the minority, your job is to go along with whatever decision is made as if you had voted for it in the first place. So even this majority vote thing is an illusion. It's just, they're, they're voting. And of course, the ones who are the senior apostles have more influence over the junior apostles than vice versa. So what am I saying here? I think all I'm saying is that you change your definitions as you go up. I think President Eyring believes that the church is led by revelation just as much now as he, was, as he did when he was a kid, only that definition has completely changed because he's been exposed to the actual wheels of the machine and seen they don't run like he was told when he was a kid. And so he redefines revelation as something that is, well, from all other aspects, just a natural thing that happens. And the other thing is this, when I joined the church, we talked about the God, that uh, God appears to the prophet and we made fun of other churches, especially the Catholic church, because they did not have direct revelation from God Instead, they made their doctrinal decisions in councils, and they would debate them, and they would come to a unanimous decision, and if people didn't agree, then they got kicked out or exiled or whatever, right? And we made fun of them. At least I did, and other people I know made fun of them, because that was not how God worked in his church. And now, that's exactly what we do. And frankly, 40 years ago, when we're making fun of the Catholics for it, I'm sure that's exactly how the church was doing it then, too. Love that analysis, but I but just to make sure we we hit it explicitly, mm -hmm. you believe the brethren are sincere and believe it. They've just defined down their expectations, and and but do you think they're sincere believers? Uh, once again, I think that some of them may not be. I think that some of them may be. I think that uh, the the most important thing is that they're loyal rather than what they believe about doctrine. Um, I would not be surprised if there are some in there who are less committed to the truth claims of the church than others. And I'm just using President Eyring as an example because in a moment of unprecedented openness, he described what I think of as a complete shift in his definition of revelation, which allowed him to continue to believe revelation leads to the church, even though all it is is unanimous vote by a ruling council. Yeah. Okay. So the answer is, I don't know. I know Bill Real is very, very um, 
uh, convinced of the fact that they know it's a sham. Right. You see, and it gets complicated because I know that there are some of them who want to give the impression that the apostles have seen Jesus. They all know what's out there. They didn't get beamed into their position from outer space. They all grew up in the church, right? They all know that the TBMs out there, including me when I was back in the members of TBM, I was convinced that they had face-to-face meetings with Jesus at least one so that they could be a special witness of Jesus Christ. And they promote that. They promote that throughout the church. None of them has come out and said differently. Right. And to that extent, I think that they are all culpable of allowing that false belief about their experience to be perpetuated and continue in the church. Yeah.